Hello, ladies and gentlemen. I'm John Atack, and you must know that by now. <laughs> Why would you be here? And this is my my dear friend and colleague, Mark Laxer. Hi, Mark. Hey. And um, I, I'm I want to rant about <laughs> traditionalism, and um, Mark's going to try and get some words in edgeways along the way. I imagine. Um, we are cursed with, with this um, new idea, this modern idea called traditionalism. Now, there's already a little bit of a contradiction in terms there. When uh, Steve Bannon was the head of Donald Trump's first election campaign, when he was uh, chief of staff at the White House, he called himself a traditionalist. The same is true for Alexander Dugin the founder of the National Bolshevik Party, which seeks to bring together the best of Hitler and Stalin. And he's an advisor to um, <clears throat> Vladimir Putin, uh, held at arm's length, but uh, certain of his concepts have been very important in the contemporary world. We then have some lesser people like Olavo, uh, who advises Bolsonaro. Um, and he wants to bring back a traditional Brazil uh, though he prefers to live in the United States, such is his feeling. These guys all go back to um, a guy called René Guénon, uh, who gave us the thing called the perennial philosophy, not to be confused with Aldous Huxley's perennial philosophy. Um, I think Huxley was a bit confused by the time he got into that in, what, 1945. Guénon was a Frenchman who claimed to uh, be a Sufi. He converted to Islam so he could be a Sufi. And he put forward a view that there was a lost traditional world and that we should return to this. We should have a world of, world of spirituality, not materialism. Um, we should go back to old values. And um, the, my point is really that, that there is this tradition. It's rather like the Santa Claus tradition, that Santa Claus, as we have Santa Claus now, all dressed in red, nice white stuff, that's a tradition that goes back at the furthest to the 1860s, when um, during the American Civil War, uh, some posters were made. They were modified in the 19, late 20s, early 30s by Coca-Cola, and the figure of Santa Claus that we have now, Saint Nick, a patron saint of thieves, let's remember that. That's why once a year he gives you your stuff back, but the rest of the time he's protecting the people who steal it. <laughs> this is a tradition. Um, the Hitler salute. I said I was going to rant and I'm going to. The Hitler salute, the stiff arm salute, is said to be a tradition. Curiously, it's a tradition that doesn't go back to the Germanii, as the, uh, the Romans called them. It goes back to their enemies, the Romans. So they are marching around giving this salute, thinking that this is a fascist salute. It is a, an antique or traditional thing. It isn't. It didn't exist in the Roman Empire. It was invented, it would appear, by the French painter David, who uh, signed death warrants during the Reign of Terror, um, but was also a very competent painter. Um, and one of his paintings is called The Oath of the Horatii, and it shows a bunch of people giving what will come to be known as the Hitler salute, and they're dressed up in Roman uniforms. Um, I've got lots of them, actually. I sat down before and... Um, Hasidic Judaism, that's something that um, started around about 1700, and its tradition goes back to there. Uh, the Mennonites, or the Amish in, in the US, they have a tradition 
that goes back to when they arrived in the United States or their Anabaptists, so their sect goes back to the 17th, maybe the 16th century. Um, it reminds me of when you look at um, particularly Dutch paintings of the 15th and 16th century, Van Eyck or Bosch, that if you see a crucifixion, all the people standing round are wearing contemporary Dutch clothes. And um, th there they are, they're meant to be in, you know, 33 AD or 29 AD, whenever, at the crucifixion, but they're wearing the clothes that they would have worn during the time of Bosch. This is what traditionalism is like. Um, on that point, and I will let you get some words in edgewise, because I do want to know what you hear about, what, what you feel about this. Uh, in The Flight of the Wild Gander, Joseph Campbell talks about the history of, of fairy stories, folk tales, myth, myths. It's a very insightful little book, um, so much so that I actually wrote a, a review of it that's about 25 pages long, which is on an old website of mine. In it, he points out that when the Grimm brothers and others were collecting folk stories and fairy tales, they found that within one generation, a story would become traditional. So because your grandma told it to you, you believe that it's always been there. And one of the most famous of these stories, and there are many of them, is, is a story told about the Mullah Nasruddin. Uh, these stories go back to, I think, the 14th, even maybe the 13th century. And this man was a Sufi, and, and his stories are told as jokes, that as if um, he does something very stupid that's meant to show you something. Of these, the most widely spread story is the idea of a man searching for his key under a lamppost. I've seen this story in two or three psychology textbooks. I'm told it's been repeated in a Russian movie. It's a story you'll hear again and again. He's searching for his key underneath a lamppost and somebody comes up to him and says, so this is where you lost the key. And he said, no, but there's no light where I lost the key. And from this we are meant to, it's a delightful story. It has spread and become traditional in Russia, in the United States, in Germany. You'll find this story all over the place. And the people telling it believe that they are telling um, a story that belongs to their culture. Uh, on this point, we have a whole um, pseudo-religious, I'm going to call it that. I suppose it's proper to call it religious um, group, because if people believe it, that's up to them, which calls itself Wicca. And this was an invention of the 1940s by an Englishman who liked to run around with no clothes on. His name was Gardner. And uh, he invented this huge past in the same way that the Freemasons, the Rosicrucians, these the Illuminati, so-called. We have this invention of tradition. So um, we have fake, fake news, we have fake traditionalism. And when we look to these gurus, um, René Guénon or Julius Evola, who was an advisor to, to um, Mussolini and actually drew up the, uh, the race laws that Mussolini adopted. He was part of the government of Salo, which was this, the state that clung on after Italy had capitulated and was supported by Hitler and headed by Mussolini before his uh, demise. Uh, Salo then moved, in fact, to, v uh, sorry, Salo, um, Evola moved to Vienna, where he was uh, by the end of the war. And he went on to become one of the demagogues of, of neo-fascism. 
these things are Disney mysticism. They don't have behind them a great wealth of Hindu, Buddhist, or you know, tantric or Sufi or, or Christian tradition. They are modern inventions which dress themselves up and pretend to be mysticism. So uh, to wind up on this and let you get in, one of the traditions that seems to be accepted, whether by Christians, Muslims or Hindus, is the Hindu idea of yugas or ages. And Kali, the idea is that we are now in Kali Yuga, which is the lowest of the ages. You know, you had gold, silver, bronze, and this one's crap, and that's the one we're in. This myth, and it is just a story, it's not based upon a scientific review of the cyclical nature of human history. This is believed fervently by many people, and it becomes tied in with the end days mythology of Christianity. The idea that the Jews must go back to Jerusalem, to Zion, they must be converted to Christianity, and then Jesus will come back. This would be a, an amusing sidelight on history, were it not for the fact that there are many very powerful people who believe in this and who have supported wars in the Middle East, hoping that Jesus will come back to them. Uh, indeed, the settlement of Israel itself was driven by a movement um, called Zionism and begun in the 1620s in Britain by Puritans, Christian Puritans, who wanted the Jews to go back to Zion so they could be converted to Christianity. The British High Command followed this in the 1930s. Ord Wingate was sent by Alexander Wavell, the head of the British Command in the Middle East, to teach Jews who are immigrating to Palestine terrorist tactics that they could use against the Arabs. These were taught by the British Army. And the man who taught them was a member of the Plymouth Brethren, an end day sect that believed that Jesus will come back once the Jews have all gone back to Zion and been converted. These myths, these beliefs, as Voltaire said, um, people who believe absurdities will commit atrocities. The idea that leaders of the world are being influenced by people who pretend to be mystics, their depth of understanding of the Vedanta, of the Upanishads, of you know, the Sufi teachings of the Quran, of any of these, is highly questionable. These people are not deeply imbued spiritually. Yeah. They're people who've just, you know, creating a tradition, you know, a Santa yeah, Claus yeah. thing, and getting people to go along with them. We're going to make America great again. We're going to return to a golden age. No, I, I think that's a, a good, broad, uh, look at, at uh, recent and, and uh, a bit of history in terms of people being fooled. Um, in, when, I, when you mentioned Steve Bannon and folks like him putting forth this idea of traditionalism, to me, that's a code word for white supremacy. People mm -hmm. looking for something- Tribalism. That they, I'm sorry. Tribalism. You it's know. a form of tri that's exactly, right. tribalism. And, and this, this is the white group. I mean, I'm sure there are other groups that look back to quote unquote better times. People are always looking for better times for health reasons or ec economic reasons. It's like, I wish things were better. People are often looking back. Ah, I wish it was back 150 years ago. Of course, that time people maybe only lived to, you know, 40 years old. 45 years old, and then everyone died. And like, oh, I wish we could live in those times. It, as you're pointing out, John, it's a kind of a false premise. Um, 
you mentioned quite a few, uh, not just Steve Bannon. You, you sort of took us on a tour of um, history of, of, of people doing this, as you call it, Disney-esque. I guess that's your- Disney um, mysticism. Way of saying it's shallow. Um, well, well, let me give you a specific example. Right. If you look to The Little Mermaid and Hans Christian Andersen's original story, The Little Mermaid ends up having to walk over sharp blades that's the original story. The, what happens is it's Disneyfied. A modern, clean, sanitized version is made of it. And that's what Bannon, Dugin, and Lavo have done to history. It's what uh, Adam Curtis, the brilliant documentary maker who's stupid when it comes to Scientology, but we won't get into that. He's otherwise brilliant. And he put forward the idea that Margaret Thatcher believed in the golden age that Winston Churchill invented to make British people feel patriotic. And the truth was, you know, there has been no golden age in British history that, that I'm aware of. It's always been nasty, brutish and short. Right. It's a rhetorical device that yeah. that this person you just mentioned used, Steve Bannon uses, uh, Trump uses, and a lot of leaders use to fool the people. Um, creating uh, an imaginary place to go back to. Um, glittering generality, it's called, by students of property. Yeah, back, back, what they're really saying is back when there were a bunch of white people or there was, a, you, you were in your own tribe and you didn't have to deal with other people. But the realities are actually quite different. And I think you're saying, how is it that, or, or I, I let me just respond to all the things you said by asking you, what's a good way to arm a population to one, discern that they're being duped? Um, many people actually do discern it, but they choose to do it because they think they'll get more benefit out of it. So that's another problem. Um, not everyone in the United States falls for the rhetoric coming out of uh, the former no. president, but they choose to vote from anyway for various reasons um, because they think the other side, the Democrats are gonna take away their kids and make them gay, or I have no idea what, but there's all sorts of fears that are being pressed upon them. So some of the people do discern, but they choose to go that path anyway. So uh, getting back to my question for you, John, and that is, what's a good way in an institutional sense? I mean, you give these YouTube videos, you have wonderful books out, you do various lectures and so forth, and other people do as well. That's of immense value, but I wouldn't call that as a, a societal solution. To be able to 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 discern and protect the people from these demagogues. Mm -hmm. um, so my question is, I, I'm not disagreeing with your basic premise. Um, a number of the references you made, I didn't know of. I mean, I know Steve Bannon, um, and he certainly worries me, and the people he's advising worry me uh, quite a bit. Um, and 
and uh, but it, as you point out, but you mentioned Brazil, you've mentioned a few different hotspots on the planet right now, where this disinformation fog is setting in, not just a little bit around the fringes, but almost uh, to the point where whole governments are are falling to, to these gimmicks, really. Oh, yeah. Um, I'm not disagreeing with you. Mm. I see the same pattern. I would describe it if I were going to rant for four minutes or whatever in the beginning of a video, I wouldn't have used the words you use because I don't have that knowledge, but I have my own knowledge. But I'd sort of sort of say the same thing you said. So hats off to you. Um, but again, okay, what are we going to do about it? What is society going to do about it? And what, why is it that society, maybe a more important question, why is it that in my country, and maybe less so, but maybe similarly in your country, um, in the United States, in your country, England, um, why is it in, in Brazil? Why is it in the Philippines? Why is it in Hungary? Why is it in Turkey? Um, I'm naming a few hotspots. Why is it in the Philippines? Um, why is it so freaking difficult to have the bulk of the population sort of hip to this mm. and have a sort of innate not an anger or hatred, but, oh, yeah, 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 I see through you. I'm not going to fall for that. In fact, if you play that game, I automatically won't vote for you. Mm. Automatically. Mm. Why is it that that's not ingrained in our youth? Starting at a fairly early age, um, I have my own senses to the answer of, of that question. Um, but I, I do think it's a key question. I think it's the key, key question. How are we going to change this? We have a, a fairly decent diagnosis that what is wrong in the world is predatory human beings, antisocial, destructive human beings, manipulative human beings, self-interested human beings, people who have no compassion or empathy for others. And... The, the problem is that these people keep being in charge. They keep, maintain, they are able to maintain power. And this isn't a matter of class struggle or you know, the left versus the right. I am so tired of politics being divided into left and right. The, the understanding, the spectrum is so wide, but it's not a two dimensional line. You know, I think many people have observed it's a circle that at the far left and the far right, you have the same thing. You have tyranny by whatever name. And so the first part is that diagnosis, which I think we pretty much have. And why, why isn't change happening? Well, because people aren't understanding that this is the human condition. Well, people are saying, well, it, it was ever thus. It'll always be this way. The poor will be with us always, as Jesus said. And what can we do about it? You know, and I think it's that loss of hope, that loss of belief that is the most profound and dangerous aspect of this problem. Because now we have to go from a diagnosis to a prognosis. What are we going to do about this? What can we do about this? And 
it is a matter of spreading certain simple ideas because I, I hate it when um, ideas are compared to viruses, you know, when uh, religion is a virus or, you know, what have you. But I'm going to go that way. I'm going to say that in this case, we do have the solution. And the solution is getting people to think about it. You know, giving people the tools to step back and dispassionately understand what's going on. So those would be the tools of critical thinking. But the dispassionately is the important part that if we head for the belief that there is some kind of perfect logic that human beings can apply, I think we end up with something like the Terminator movies, you know, <laughs> that artificial intelligence will set about wiping out humanity because we are such irrational creatures. And the reason we're irrational is because we're a lot more than just rational beings, so much more than just computers or robots, because we have feelings. And, and that, that makes us, oh, just profoundly wonderful you know, being human, what an incredible thing to be with this remarkable complex organ. But what we have to do is learn to deal with our feelings and learn to accept that our subjectivity and that aspect of our being, and then dig into our sense of certainty, the unquestionable assumptions we have about the world around us. And for me, by digging into those things many years ago, 30 years and more ago, I discovered something positive. I discovered a belief in humanity in myself, which has been severely tried at times by events in the real world. But I believe that there is a logical way to arrive at a, a world that is focused on, on human survival, on, on, on human, um, on, on benefit to humanity which means maintaining the environment, making make the environment work, not poisoning things, not you know, destroying things, not killing things. I think that, that what we're dealing with is a set of ideas, an understanding of the problem, and then you know, the ways to solve it are the ways that, that we've talked about so many times. You apply Ira Chalef's intelligent disobedience. You apply Ira Chalef's courageous followership. And I don't want to get too culty. I was a good friend of mine and I don't get a commission from this and I don't worship him, don't worry. Um, but he's a brilliant man and he's come up with ideas which are tremendously useful. If we then add to that the many and various ideas that we talk about, how people um, gain control over others, once you know what gaslighting is, when somebody tries to do it to you, you notice it. And if kids are taught you know, with intelligent disobedience to, to respond and go, hang on, I, want, I need to think about that. I'm not sure I want to do that. So rather than training kids towards obedience in our schools, this fundamental error. And focusing on what, what for me is absolutely the center of the problem, which is authoritarianism. The idea of a society where people have ranks and tell other people what to do and the other people go along with it, rather than a society where... Um, expertise and competence are what mark people out as, as being useful, right? you know, rather than the, the, what some people call the Kennedy effect, you know, that he looks good, therefore I'll vote for him. That giving people more understanding of 
the people they're seeing, whether they are predatory or not. When I first saw Tony Blair talking, I went, he's a predator. When I first saw Boris Johnson talking, David Cameron, so many of our leaders, I look at them and they, they don't inspire me with confidence, but I'm looking at them after looking at that particular problem in human beings for, for decades. People who are socially destructive, people who are selfish and, and self-involved. And so the thing is to shift the balance at the moment, and, and this number comes up again and again, I mention it again and again, about 60% of people are probably authoritarian in their beliefs. They want to follow, they want to be led, they want certainty because we're in an uncertain world. They want somebody to reassure them in their misery that times will get better and they so, grab onto simple solutions. So John, we shouldn't really then, taking what you're saying, we shouldn't really be surprised by the crop of leaders out there because just to boil down what I think we're both saying, or you're saying it and I'm sort of, yeah, um, is that our very system is calling upon, it's, it's almost like our society is saying, <clears throat> excuse me, will the narcissistic sociopath people who really think they're really better than everyone else and have these huge egos and can sort of grab whomever they want, however they want, um, and I'm not just referring to one person, I'm just the bulk of our leaders yeah. um, around the world, we're saying, okay, we're looking for you. I'm gonna, I'm gonna vote for you because you're strong and you're tough. And through your toughness and your narcissistic strength, in a sense, I think that's how people see it. You will protect us from the other which is very unchristian, by the way, because my understanding of what Christ was saying is embrace and accept and love the other. Yeah. But this is, that's nice, good, that nice uh, uh, Godhead, really, um, from so many years ago. It's nice to worship him and, and love him and be part of his, you know, in the religion of Christianity, but the reality is that people are afraid of the other, people are repulsed by the other, um, and people have this natural tribal affinity to block out and have a power struggle with the other. So I guess what I'm saying is society is reaching out and saying, I want the nastiest, toughest, meanest, we don't really phrase it this way, but really we need a tough SOB um, mm. to protect us. And will, will the narcissistic sociopath please step forward? Oh, you look great. Yes. And you're able to hide fairly well your narcissistic sociopathic tendencies. Great. Thank you. I think I'll vote for you because you're electable. And whoops, it looks like someone just testified to say that you're throwing your pasta dishes 
onto the wall with the ketchup drooling down. Oh, you were attacking your secret service driver and going for his neck and grabbing the steering wheel. Whoops, maybe we, uh, hmm, should hmm. we vote for you again? Hmm, you, I, you, you have that strength. Maybe you're just a little bit too batshit crazy. I don't think I'll vote for you, but I'll vote from this for this guy from Florida who is at least as batshit crazy as you, but he's hiding it a little bit better. So uh, to summarize my rant here, John, um, it just seems that we, the way, the very, if it's just going deep, 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 deep into society and saying, why the fudge do we keep coming up with these leaders? It's because we're asking for them. Hmm. And it's because our way of looking to leadership is to find people who are not healthy. <laughs> and if we were to come up with another form of, I don't know, I don't want to sound like a revolutionary here because I sometimes see myself <laughs> as a traditionalist. Sorry. Um, but, but, but now that I'm thinking about it, which I try not to do too often, mm. we are choosing leaders based on tribal instincts and fears, yes. not based on what's, uh, what's, um, what is what is morally acceptable and what is good and what is what is good for um the world and and societies in general and what is good in terms of humanity and stuff like that and maybe the trick is to have this is going to sound cra crazy maybe try to form like a democracy Yeah. And you can only have a democracy when you have a majority of people who are capable of making sensible decisions. And there has Which always we don't been... have. Do you, do you have that over there, like uh, Central England, Northern England? So how about Penzance? I mean, that's a very civilized place, like the southern bit of England. Yeah. No? I, I saw um, Pete Brown, who wrote the lyrics to Sunshine of Your Love, performing in Penzance. Yeah. There you Gandalf, go. Gandalf's Club in 1974. So it's a good, good year for democracy, really. I was just wondering, how about parts of Greece, those islands or Italy? No, maybe not Italy. Um, maybe not Italy. Oh, Denmark. It's Denmark. somewhere out there, maybe Iceland. There is maybe it's like a group of women. Um, maybe it's a guy thing, but it's, I'm not seeing it. I think we choose leaders who suck. Generally, not, not always, but, but that, and, and we also choose leaders who sell us a tradition, who sell us a golden age, who are the continuation of some set of ideas. And those ideas have started to go awry that, that when you, peel back the mask and I don't like to be saying this because I'm not going to get hired but there you go 
I am not very impressed with politicians. There, I've said it. And it doesn't matter which particular, you know, back in Rome, there came the situation where the emperor was appointed by the fans of the chariot racers. You were either a member of the Greens or the Blues, and there was a point where they controlled the imperial throne. What a lovely thought. I think that we haven't got much further than that, that people commit themselves to a particular little ring fence set of ideas. And so it, for an outsider, it's very difficult to see that there's much significant difference between the Democrats and the Republicans. I would certainly not call the Democrats left wing in any way, shape or form. The separation, as it was explained to me when I first went to the US in 86 by a friend who was a Republican voter, was that the Republicans don't believe in welfare and the Democrats do. Um, and the point in response to that, the simple point is, if you took the military budget of the United States and spent it on the poor and welfare, then you would have the richest country in the world in terms of its, all of its population. You, you could feed everyone, you could educate everyone, you could probably seriously slow down crime, do all sorts of wonderful things, but instead the money has been invested in a project to um, make the world safe for democracy. I think it was Woodrow Wilson who first used that phrase um, and actually caught disaster, create disaster. We now have an international situation where we are on the verge of World War III because of what is happening in the Ukraine. And, you know, we've this week, yesterday, we confirmed, NATO has confirmed that now Sweden and Finland have joined NATO. Who would have ever thought that would happen? Who would have ever thought it could happen? But we see all of this posturing, all of this moving towards, and these are tribal enmities that, um, you know, I have a friend in Moscow who, who I'm still in, um, you know, I correspond with. He, he doesn't, want to invade Ukraine, you know, it's, it's not the Russians have decided to attack the Ukrainians, it's the people in political power who've decided that it's best for them to do this for reasons that, uh, you know, I mean, we are going to see- well, oh, Going back to what you're saying, John, uh, if you're Mr. Putin, uh, you are putting forth, um, although he probably would be disgusted at the, the word Disney, but he's got his own Disney-esque uh, narrative that he, I, I don't particularly like the man, but he deep down, he really believes this shit. So uh, he's trying to create a Russia that is like it was, you know, the, the former glory and so forth. And uh, he- Make Russia great again. Yeah, so he deeply believes that. Um, I, I guess my, my point is, I, I, I don't think he's faking that. <laughs> he really believes it. And uh, so it's all the, but the power is all in one person. It's such a steep hierarchy, which I think once you get that super steep hierarchy, that's the point where, um, probably both you and I, we get like red flashes of light in our, our psyches because we think, tell me if I'm wrong, ah, that's like a destructive cult. That's well, deep hierarchy, the, the disinformation bubble, 
It's, it's, the, it's, it's where the commonality between a political and a spiritual cult, uh, you just can't really tell the two all that much apart. No, it's, it's authoritarianism and you know, pseudo-religious cults such as the ones that we belong to um, are simply aspects of authoritarianism. And to, you know, think that there's, you know, what we've seen is in multi-level marketing, you know, selling the plan for Amway or um, Tony Robbins or um, Earhart's seminar training with the Forum Landmark Trust. Yeah. All of you know, pseudo-therapy groups like the Sullivanians um, or, or the Freudians, you know, or the Jungians, these things, the people who pretend to, to do something therapeutic. They, it's about authoritarianism. It's about a relationship between people where what we're saying is um, we believe in equality before the law, equality of justice. It would be nice to see equality in education so that, um, you know, kids get the very best education, really, uh, because that way they'll make the very best world. Equality in healthcare, uh, that... Um, if we allow diseases to run wild in our society, if we don't provide healthcare to stop those diseases, then um, they will get us. You know, as we saw with COVID-19, those countries that followed a sensible public policy had far fewer fatalities than countries like the US and the UK that didn't close down fast enough, that didn't use a public health policy because of feelings that you're somehow, you know, your life is being controlled if you're asked to wear a mask or something like that. So we right, get it. Yeah. And, and it, that then is an invert, you know, it's, they're saying, oh, you're authoritarian because you're making us not sneeze on you, you know. Right. I have but, the right to, to sneeze come, on you. <laughs> um, Just to come back to the, the Putin metaphor for a, for a moment, if you've got some number of nations that have predatory practices such as um, jumping into the Crimea or Ukraine, the Ukraine or things like that. Georgia um, and, or Chechnya or yeah. stuff like that. Yeah. So there's that going on. And let's say that there's some number of countries in which that is happening. I think not, not to necessarily defend, but just to, set, to, to sort of my response to what you were saying about um, this militarization of, of the US, uh, you know, where all our taxes go, right? Yeah. Um, we're, we're certainly a, a, one of the wealthy nations. So we have a big amount of, you know, big powerful tax base there and you could do some things with it rather than putting it to education, I think the thinking goes that if we don't put it into military bits, and of, of course it's so much, it's crazy, it's a crazy amount, but if we take just, just conceptually, if we go to the other extreme and do sort of a Gandhi, uh, Mahandas, Mahatma Gandhi-esque type of approach where we just say, well, I'll, or it's actually Christ-like, isn't it? I'll just turn the other cheek. Um, Nonviolence. Um, uh, if, if we have that approach, the American 
people don't feel, and I'm like picturing these cowboys in Wyoming or whatever, it's just like, they're thinking if they, if they're, if, if their uh, ability to self-direct is being challenged by someone with a bunch of tanks mm. and artillery and, and missiles that are going faster and faster. I think they have these things now called supersonic or I don't know, they go really I fast. No. Yeah, there's all sorts of newfangled drones and AI and all kinds of crazy robots that do stuff um, to, to kill people essentially um, and to, to hold territory. If, if we, it's, 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 it's something in people, it's coming, it's coming from the people. People, there's some tribal basic thing where if we just give away power and just not have a steep, this dangerous steep hierarchy is something that we're reaching for. Why is that, John? Because we're scared shitless of the other guy's steep hierarchy. Yeah. And it's one, and, and that, if, if there weren't people like Putin and other, what I would refer to as a demagogue, um, there weren't people out there like that, it would beg the question, why do we need such a big military budget and steep hierarchies? And why do we keep picking these assholes to lead us? And it may be, it's based out of, it's going back to what you were saying before about we're not, we're rational, but not entirely rational. The emotional stuff kicks in. We have such fear that drives us when we go into our voting booths, such fear and, 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 you know, like you look at it, it's like, why are these women voting for Trump? There's, there's a, and there's, a, I'm sure there are a lot of reasons for it. And there's this- Hoping that he'll grab their pussy, I suppose, who knows? Something, well, it's, it's something primal that's going on because it's not rational. And in terms of us trying to brainstorm a way to push back from what you were describing in the early part of our conversation today, the, the, the solution, like how are we gonna fix this? Um, I don't think it's that easy. If it was that easy, I think we would have done it. There are a lot of nice, smart people who work in your, you know, your government and the foreign service office, your teachers in England. I've, I've spent a lot of time in England uh, and in my country. There's a lot of very talented people and people in Brazil and people in, in, in you know, Senegal. There are people all over who are just insanely special, insightful kind. Um, there's just so many of them. And yet we continue to, to, to create societies that suck. And our oh. leaders are largely assholes. Um, and our systems don't really work. And, and the reason is because of 
fear, I guess. I don't know. It's just, I'm just brainstorming. I really haven't the slightest idea, but I, I do enjoy brainstorming with you because oh, it kind of opens my, my brain up a little bit and you make all these references I've never heard of. So it's interesting. Yeah, absolutely. I, I actually just keep a list of references to that. <laughs> um, so, um, oh, I know who said that. That Oh, sorry. No. And um, yeah, the, the, the point is there are a lot of, the majority of people have good hearts. Majority of people, the vast majority of people want good to triumph in the world. But as you say, they become frightened. And the, you have to understand, firstly, what's going on. And I don't think the world has woken up to what authoritarianism means, that we are very confused about what democracy means, because we don't, of course, have a referendum or plebiscite democracy where everybody gets to vote on everything. You have something like that, that you know, when um, Colorado goes to, to vote in the midterms, uh, there will be that matters can be put onto the, um, you know, the the public poll there, which they can't hear. So Colorado may well vote to legalize psilocybin. I believe that's on the uh, Denver has already decriminalized it, and we're hearing all sorts of things about how it makes your brain grow and does wonderful things. This terrible, awful, banned substance. So there is that kind of democracy in the U.S., which I I think is is probably a very good thing that, that there is a sort of plebiscite democracy. But largely what we've got is elective dictatorship. As uh, Lord Hailsham, who was a right-wing Tory politician, um, very senior politician, cabinet member here, yet he said that what we have in our system is elective dictatorship. Every four or five years, we elect a new dictatorship. And so finding some way towards, you know, that's very complicated. But the simple part is understanding that if we recognize dictators, tyrants, authoritarians, monarchs, whichever word we want to use for these people, presidents, um, people have got too much power. If we recognize <clears throat> how to choose people a bit better, um, crikey, this is it's a, um, a Del Davis Scientology book, how to choose your people. There you go. They've already answered this question. Their idea is you see how they are emotionally and you relate to people who are cheerful and stuff like that. And they've created a miserable group around that set of ideas. But being able to discern behavior and say, well, I'm not going to vote for you because I can, I can obviously see you're, you're incredibly selfish and that you're, you're using all sorts of then understanding how propaganda works. And again, this is not in our schools. This is not anywhere that... Um, when somebody comes up to me and says, oh, wow, you look great. I should be going, hello, I don't know your name. What are you trying to sell me? And that I shouldn't be going, oh, he thinks I'm wonderful or what have you. There are very simple ideas which we can put into the schools. And we don't then need to have a big political campaign or, you know, get something into the, you know, we just have to teach people how to, be better able to tell uh, Decepticons from people who are actually, you know, want to benefit us. And I think that could cause a, um, a fairly quick shift if, if we got into our schools and started teaching the ideas that, you know, Robert Cialdini puts forward about influence, that 
Dr. Lifton has put forward the eight deadly sins of thought reform. As people understand these ideas, they will transform. We don't need to hammer it into them. We don't need to change the law. We need to get people so that they realize, firstly, that there can be a pro-social human society, that the idea of constant warfare between power blocks, which is what we've been seeing throughout human history, is not necessary, that we can get past it. So first of all, it's having a hope and a dream. And beyond that, it's having some fairly simple ideas, um, you know, really not tremendously complicated, Yuval Or's ideas about all belief and fervor, for example, which, which I think if, as they get into society will cause a change because um, it is the, the, the change of ideas. You know, what happened in the 19th century when it was decided there was such a thing as childhood, which is somewhere around about the 1860s, the middle classes start giving the special time to their children. The, the children of the poor, of course, at the age of four are starting to work going down mines, going up chimneys. This is a reality. This happened. This is the great America that Trump wants to take people back to. It's the, the great Russia, you know, serfdom, um, slavery. This is the past that they're looking back to. I think that by understanding history, by being honest about history, by teaching children to ask questions, by being willing to answer the questions, by regarding ourselves as part of a community of learning rather than you know, we have the truth, the way, the truth and the life, and we will teach it to you, which is not true. Um, the ideas there of Matthew Lippmann, the educator, um, that, that I think we can, I think we can fairly quickly make a change. And I think we need to be focusing on that, which in my case means um, writing a curriculum for schools. Um, we're working on something in the UK. We, we've got the beginnings of something in the US as well. I have a, a brilliant man there who's, who's helping us. And we then see what happens. So rather than having this struggle of whether I'm left or I'm right or I'm for or against this or for or against that, we teach everybody to think better, to think more clearly, to understand the impact that, that our emotional preferences, our confirmation bias, our feelings of certainty and knowing, what these contribute, rather than, you know, we went through the hippie thing, the self-actualization thing. And I'm horrified to see that Steve Bannon and Alexander Dugan are also talking about self-actualization, spiritual transcendence, but they seem to be working from a Disney playbook, you know, that their understanding of the great metaphysical inquiry of humanity seems to be Disneyfied. It seems to be trivialized and, and made infantile in the things that they actually believe we need to get past that and i'm pretty sure we can um but whether we will or not i you know is another matter but i'm one of the seven or eight people living today that actually believes that humanity has a chance um i think we probably better leave it there do you have some comments to sum up for me mark yeah just uh as you were talking, I was visualizing, rather than having a voted for dictators, they become dictators every four years for two years or whatever the system is. I was just trying to visualize using your hope for humanity as a basis. The idea of having 
a form of government which is quite different than the framers of the US Constitution. Uh, it's different than what they had in mind. I think they didn't trust the people. No, they, they, they didn't they, trust the religion they, of the people for one thing, they were dead. They, they, they wanted to protect the people from themselves. And so they wanted people to vote for people who had a maybe like a bird's eye view, uh, educated, people who've been through maybe a program like you're talking about, um, uh, the John Atack School of Happy Thought. Um, but I think I kind of agree with the framers of the US Constitution. If, if I were to say, let's pick random people in my town, actually not my town, just any town, USA, and say, you're going to be in charge for a week and just have a round robin thing or there's 50 people at any given time um, just playing with ideas 50 people who are in charge and they have to come to consensus and they're in charge there's no governor there's no senator there's no president uh, or prime minister as or, or parliament or, or house of lords if you will um, but instead there's groups of people who are picked at random. It's sort of like you're picked to serve on a, a jury. It's like jury duty. You're picked by society. I'm thinking of Shirley Jackson's The Lottery, where you're picked to throw stones to, you know, you, you get stoned. But no, this is where you're picked to serve as a leader. Would that work? Well, um, such, such systems have actually occurred. Um, that if you look to people's uh, First Nations people in North America, there are among them people who, uh, in their winter season and summer season, they have different sets of authority. And, you know, when they're out hunting, for example, the Plains peoples, that there is a different set of rules and authorities. And one of the families one of the tribes will be given authority in that season. And then the next season, it will go to another of the tribes. So if you mess about too much, you will get punished down the line. So um, The Dawn of Everything by Graeber and Wengro, which I've, I've been furiously recommending um, since I got to it, just an incredible book, which reconstructs the past and says, yeah, it wasn't all evolving towards this awful plutocracy that we now live in where the rich and powerful have maintained power for centuries you know the you know it's still the case that uh, families from 100 years ago uh, who had the wealth 100 years ago 90 percent i believe of the wealth is still with those families mm. and so you know whatever pretensions we have we just see some greedy human being not mentioning the whole normal list of them um, who get some extra little bit of power, but they're on the edge of these power blocks. We need to stop pretending. We, we need to have a society that actually is pro-human, pro-social. In you know, um, Maynard Keynes, the uh, economist in the 1930s, said that by the 1960s, um, industry will be so worked out that people will only have to work 15 hours a week. And as David Graeber points out in his wonderful book, Bullshit Jobs, 
we could do that. We have that potential, but instead we squander human lives on you know, paying people ridiculous amounts of money for contributing nothing of value to society. And they're just raking off this money. And at the other end, not paying people who actually do make real contributions, like keeping things clean, for example, you know, cleaners. Um, changing that balance. There is so much to be done, but um, I, I think that having different forms of society, trying different experiments in societies, but, mm. but working towards something that is positive and beneficial. We, we've, as far as I'm concerned, the dark ages are still with us, have always been with us. You know, when you look at the horrors of the, the Greek you know, the Athenian society, the first democracy, which performed at least two genocides under democratic rule, you know, uh, or you look at, at Rome and the, the barbarity of Rome, you know, boasting after taking Dacia and renaming it Romania, that they had only left 40 people alive. You know, Julius Caesar boasted that he'd killed two million Gauls. These are genocidal regimes and we've, through monarchies and dictatorships, we are at a point where we could come out of that, where the dark ages could end and where we could have, um, you know, look back to those societies like the Indus Valley Society, which survived for 700 years. There was a Ukrainian society, which appears to have been egalitarian, that survived for quite a long time. Uh, unfortunately, archaeology in that area has been stopped. Um, there are societies of all different types and styles that have shown that people can live together without warfare. Right. And the problem is that the neighboring people get really hierarchical and they come and eat everybody else. Well, again, the, the dawn of everything shows what has happened when that's happened too. how societies, um, particularly looking at um, North America, how societies there have melt, have dealt with having and, and you, you get that balance. I, I wrote a play about the Ponca people who, who lived on the plains. I got really interested and read a lot. And every year the Cheyenne would come and try and steal their stuff. And then the Lakota would come. So they had to find a way of being an agrarian society, which they were. They grew crops and having warriors capable of keeping these very powerful tribal groups away from them. So, but... I think we could, you know, I think we probably um, got about another 15 hours of conversation about that to go. And we, we probably better wind up for today so that we can get to the rest of our lives intact. So very, good. very, very interesting. And, th and thank God we're not human because it's, that's a big burden. It sounds that. awful, doesn't it? It just sounds awful. Phew. Oh, I wouldn't want very to. Very good, John. Thank you for that. <laughs> interesting discussion thank you so much mark and um okay. we will talk again once you've um, visited lots of countries beginning with i which is your current project in life and i would like to point out that england was originally spelt with an i so <laughs> if you want to come over and see me that england england yeah Ing england 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 great thank you so much Mark Laxer, John Atek. Thanks. Bye-bye. Hi, John here. Thanks for watching. We'd appreciate it very much if you would click like, 
as well as subscribe and click the bell for notifications. Every dollar helps and we welcome new patrons on Patreon. Or you can make a one-off payment with any currency through PayPal. Thanks so much.